Let us pray. Truths unchanged since the dawn of time. Yes. And we have those truths, O Lord, in your word. Lord, I pray that you will change not only our heads, but our hearts and our wills so that the obedience that we just sung about would be that which we pursue passionately, that which we long for, that which we see as the good life which you have given us in your word. I pray, Lord, that this will be a transformative time, that you'll transform us from one degree of glory to another, and that you would use a wretchedly crooked stick to show the narrow way of the Lord Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to Luke chapter 4. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Luke chapter 4, which, of course, is one of the accounts of Jesus' temptation. And we're going to look at a message tonight I entitled Satan's Seasons, and I'll explain more about that in just a moment. While you're turning, I remind you that we believe the Bible is the Word of God written, the only infallible rule of faith and practice. So it comes to us tonight in Luke 4, verse 1. Hear now the word of God. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God... Command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And the devil answered and said to him, Get behind behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from there, for it is written, He will give His angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him, until an opportune time. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers will fade away, but this is God's word. It won't fade away. It will abide forever and forever. If you would turn to page 896 in your 
Trinity Psalter hymnal. I want us to look at Lord's Day 52. Lord's Day 52. And I will read the dark print and ask you to respond in the light print. I'm particularly interested in the question, the first question, 127, about delivering us from evil. But let's use it all, please. What does the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer mean? How do you conclude this prayer? What does that little word Amen express. So remember particularly that second paragraph of the answer to 127, but may firmly resist our enemies until we finally win the complete Victory. I'll be talking about things related to that uh, in the sermon uh, just now. Um, I want to begin by asking you to think about uh, two contrasting modes of warfare. Uh, one would be what you would see in an old movie about the Romans, or perhaps in the Revolutionary War or the Civil War, you would find people lined up facing one another, and they would just come and crash together, and it would be a great, uh, uh, a great carnage, we'll say. Another uh, method of warfare you might have found in Vietnam or Afghanistan. One is a very frontal attack, and one is guerrilla warfare. And I think that the attacks of Satan are more like the warfare that was in Vietnam. Uh, Guerrilla warfare which seeks to catch the opponent off guard. Opportunistic attack when the opponent is distracted and not looking or watchful. Kind of like a trick play in a football game or something. Attack when the opponent is weak. Vulnerability is a scent that attracts the devil. I was uh, intrigued many, many years ago, decades ago now actually, in reading and studying this passage. When I got to verse 13, uh, now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And I thought, well, what are those opportune times? 
And are they true in my life like they were true in Jesus' life? And um, what are the seasons when Satan came back to Jesus and is likely to attack us? Satan departed, but the clear implication of the text is that he returned. And I think sometimes, according to the scriptures, are more opportune than others. It's kind of like you go fishing, you know, and uh, a naive thought is, well, there's the river, there's the lake, and the fish are equally distributed across the lake or across the river. Well, that's not so. Every fisherman knows that a fish is more likely to be maybe in a a colder spot or a warmer spot, depending on the season and the fish, uh, or maybe a shadowy spot or a sunny spot or something like that. Just as fish are not evenly distributed, so also there are times that Satan is more likely to attack than others. We're told, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And he will. That's what happened with Jesus. But he comes back. When? What are those opportune times? And so those are what I want to explore this evening with you. Why do I want to do this? Well, I I don't want you to get caught off guard. I want you to be ready. I want you to be able to defend yourself against the onslaught of the devil. I want you to be prepared and to resist and to survive, and not just survive, but to flourish and grow. Or to use the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. And I don't want you or me to be ignorant of his schemes. Before I do that, though, I want to say four things quickly about the devil and then move into uh, the seasons of Satan. First is this. Satan is a real evil being who opposes God's work and God's people. There are two extremes. There are people that think that the devil is everywhere all the time doing nefarious things in my life. And there are others who rarely think of the devil at all. Most of us are tempted in that, or, or tilted rather, in that latter way. Uh, many, I think, in the Presbyterian Reformed tradition hardly ever think of the devil. And, and I get that, and I think there's something right about that, and, and there are reasons for that. But he is an enemy agent behind the lines as a guerrilla warfare expert. And this is our father's world, and Satan is here as an alien, a real evil being who opposes God. Secondly, the devil is neither omniscient nor omnipotent nor omnipresent. He has knowledge, but not all knowledge. He has power, but a power that's limited by the will of God. He is real and has demonic helpers, but he's not present everywhere. Only God is everywhere present. Thirdly, Satan is a defeated foe. You see that in Luke's gospel in several places and also in Mark. Uh, He is bound. He has been cast out of heaven. Um, He achieves little victories, but he will lose the war. And Jesus said in one place, I saw Satan fall fall from heaven like lightning. He has already lost the war. The war has already been won by Jesus Christ. His defeat 
his final defeat is secure. And then fourthly, Satan is not God's rival in the strictest and most ultimate sense of rivalry. There's no dualism or equality of good and evil in the universe in any ultimate sense so that we don't know who will win. We're not unsure at all about the outcome of the battle and never have been because God, the eternal God, has Satan hemmed in. I'll just put it that way. Now, um, this text comes at the end of the temptation, and I want to give you a nutshell about the temptation. Uh, I've got a whole sermon or two on that, but let me just give you this little bit about what's going on in the temptation. I'm not going to talk about the obvious stuff. I'm going to talk about the things that are not so obvious. Um, In this temptation, Jesus uh, passes a moral test that comes upon him. The first Adam in the Garden of Eden was tested and failed for himself and for us. He failed. In the second Adam, Jesus passed God's moral test with flying colors. He was tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. He lived a perfect life for us. He died as our substitute. Jesus did not and will not bypass the cross and take his power and glory before his humiliation and suffering. Notice, we won't take time with this, but if you notice in the text, they, Jesus, in the three phases of his temptation, in two of them, it's like this. If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. So he was tempted in the way that I've never been tempted and that you've never been tempted. I've never been tempted as the Son of God and you've never been tempted as the son or daughter of God in the way he was because the devil's goal was to get him to not die, not go to the cross. He said, in so many words, the devil was saying, Jesus, don't be doing this cross thing. Take your glory now. Reign now. It's rightfully yours. Just go for it. And of course, Jesus resisted his temptation and he saved his people. And that's very, very good news. So, what are the seasons of Satan? What are his opportune times? Well, the first opportune time, I think, and we see this on the face of the temptation, is when we are beginning a work for the Lord or when we are busy in the Lord's work. Think about this. Jesus is beginning his public ministry in Luke 4. He's just been baptized in Luke 3. He's stepping up and he's stepping out for God and his kingdom. And yet that does not prevent the devil's attack via this temptation to sin. Indeed, it not only does not prevent this attack, I think it attracts Satan's attention. When we begin ministries, we become dangerous for the devil. When we read the Bible or do a Bible study or I think there's a prayer meeting uh, announced in the worship folder. When you come together like that, Satan thinks, well, this is bad for me. This is bad for my cause. 
You remember in the Operation Desert Storm, I still remember General Schwarzkopf being on the news. This is, what, 30 years ago now, I guess, give or take. And he would get up and have news briefings, and he would say, we have our target list, and we're working through our target list, and we're attacking these targets as they come, and, 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 and then we're going to do other things. We have our plans. Well, I think you would say that Satan has a target list. And at the top of his target list are those who are active in ministry, who are beginning ministries or pursuing, uh, uh, busy in doing ministries. On July 16th, you will uh, ordain install officers here. I did that once, I don't know, 25 years ago, and I was charging the men afterwards, and I said, well, man, I hate to tell you this, but you just went up on, on Satan's target list. And they looked at me like, well, I, I don't know if I, I signed on for that. Well, it's done now. You know, we just ordained and installed you. Um, why? Is, would the devil be like that? Well, it's kind of like you're in warfare and, and, and somebody says, don't waste your bullets on the private. Shoot for the generals. Shoot for the leaders. And, and that's, I believe, what the devil does. So if you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're a youth group worker, you're a small group leader, you're a pastor... When you come to worship, when you're trying to get to worship, is Satan ever more active than on Sunday mornings? You mean, you think about it. Problems you don't have on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, Sunday morning, they just seem to pile on. Why? Well, you're coming to hear the word of God from Todd's mouth. You're coming to hear the gospel read and proclaimed. Satan doesn't want that. He wants you fighting and feuding, fussing at one another. So you get here and you're a wreck. You think, Lord, help me gather. So you have this time of prayer as you get started. I mean, some of you probably had crosswords this morning on the way to worship. Maybe this evening. I don't know. But Satan is like that. When you're beginning a ministry or when you're busy in a ministry. And, you know, you might think the opposite. You might think, well, if I step up and step out for God, he'll keep the devil far from me. Maybe. Maybe not. God will resource you and he will draw you near to you, but Satan may be attracted by the blessing. Here's Jesus. He's beginning a ministry. He's beginning his public ministry. And then later when he's busy in his ministry, Peter says, don't go to the cross in Matthew 16. And Jesus says, what? Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. He's busy. And, and Peter Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, Satan hindered us from coming to you. Paul was busy in ministry, but Satan hindered him. 2 Corinthians 11, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And today, I believe, Satan still strikes at those busy in the Lord's work when there's a lot for him to gain, when there's a lot of harm that he can do with those who are too busy to be circumspect. So if you're active in kingdom work, and you're a target, and you should beware, because Satan has a lot to gain by getting at you. Struggle in the Christian life is for everyone. All are subject to Satan's attacks, but I believe it's greater for those who are working for the king and his kingdom. So the first opportune time when we're beginning a ministry or busy in ministry. Secondly, when we're weak. When our resistance is down, here's Jesus, 40 days in the wilderness. He's fasting. 
And in a great understatement, it says, and when they were done, he was hungry. Well, I, yeah, I believe that. And then you think, later he's going to be tempted when he's on the cross, right? The people down are going to say, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross. Then we'll believe in you. If you're the son of God, come down. If you're the son of God and come down, we'll believe in you. It's really the same temptation that Satan gives him here in Luke 4. If you're the son of God, don't go to the cross. Peter said, never will you go to the cross, Lord. And Jesus has this happen after he's been up all night. After they've beaten him and crowned him with thorns. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. And so I think when we're hungry, when we lack sleep, when we're physically sick, you know, the physical and the spiritual interact. And I do think when we're sick, particularly sometimes the devil attacks. When our natural powers are low, I think when we're on our deathbed, as a pastor, when people would be nearing the end, I would always pray that that the Lord would protect them from the doubts of the devil and from the fiery darts of the devil because people are are weak in mind and body at times like that. When we're disappointed and discouraged, Satan will draw near. Thirdly, the third opportune time is when we have just been tempted. Here's Jesus, 40 days of temptation, then hunger and more temptation. And it seems to me that these things, and this is more from uh, personal experience and reading the biographies of other saints, that, that these things tend to come in seasons, like mosquitoes come in packs. Satan sometimes sends a barrage of attacks to wear us down, kind of like incoming artillery or mortars. Uh, those who've seen combat say there's nothing as terrifying as an artillery barrage. And Satan sometimes attacks that way. And unlike Barney Fife, he has more than one bullet in his gun. Uh, It's not like lightning, which is said to never strike twice in the same place, which of course is not true. And because he comes and comes and comes in seasons, we need to beware A fourth opportune time is when life is good and when times and circumstances are good. In verse 1 here, it says, Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's at the center of the will of God for his life. But that did not prevent him from being severely tempted by the devil. The fourth opportune time is when life is good, when circumstances and times are good. Think of Adam and Eve. They're in the Garden of Eden, a wonderful place. They're with God in the Garden of Eden. Life was exquisitely good. But Satan came and tempted them to sin by casting doubt on God's word and God's goodness. Think of Job. Outward circumstances were off the charts good, right? Wealthy, big family, fame, righteousness. 
But Satan came to test him, to see if he would love God even when times were tough. Compare Israel in the promised land, when the blessings that God gave them in the promised land became temptations. Would they follow God in the midst of their abundance? I think that's one of the big challenges for America today. We have such abundance. But people don't live well with prosperity. Fallen people don't. Satan will test you and me when times are good, when the blessings of life may have lulled us to sleep. It'll happen by God's permission. It will happen under God's restraint. It will happen to test our love. Do I love God only when times are good? When life is good? Well, I love God all the time. A fifth opportune time is when the gospel is preached. I touched on this one last week in my sermon on the parable of the four souls, so I won't take much time with it tonight. But um, remember in that first soil, the, the, the stony, I mean the uh, packed ground, the pathway hearer, uh, the, the text in verse uh, 12 of Luke 8 says, the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And I said last week that every time the word is read and proclaimed, not just from this pulpit, but it may be in your private worship, in your family worship, maybe in a Bible study or Sunday school class, there's spiritual warfare every time, every time. We're not, what most, most people I know are not aware of that. They come to worship, they wasn't, you know, if I said, do you think there's spiritual warfare going on in, in your worship service today, they would look at me like I was a nut. Right? We're Reformed Christians. We're going to sing the Psalms. and, and they, No. No. Yes. Yes. James said, receive the word implanted to the salvation of your souls. In 2 Corinthians 4, when Paul is explaining the possibilities of why people had not received his message, and they were faulting his message, And he said, no, there's no fault with my message. He said, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Do you pray that the Holy Spirit would unblind those people that don't know Jesus before you come to worship? I mean, it's the only way it can happen. I can't open a heart. I can't open eyes. Pastor Todd can't do that. We'll tell you that. Quickly, quickly, and repeatedly. We can't open hearts. Only God can open a heart. And there's warfare every time the word is read and proclaimed. We're at war. And that explains why there's some people that have come to worship for decades, and they're still strangers to grace. The sixth opportune time I want to admit, admit, mention, rather, and it's the last one, is when we are sinning, when we are committing other sins. Uh, if you, um, I'm not saying you would, this is a thought experiment, but if you were looking some, for somebody to commit a crime for you, who would you go to? Would you go to a law-abiding citizen or would you go to a criminal? Well, that's pretty easy, right? You go to a criminal. If, if you knew somebody was a shady character, that's the person you would go to, right? Well, this kind of trades on that thought that, that if, 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 if we are, if, the, if Satan is going to, go to entice someone to sin, he's, 
likely to go to somebody that's already involved in sin. Let me give you some scriptural illustrations of this point. Think of Judas Iscariot. Uh, before he betrayed Jesus, what was he doing? Well, he was a part of the apostolic band. What was his role in the apostolic band? Well, he was the keeper of the purse, right? And what did he do as the keeper of the purse? He pilfered the purse. He was a garden variety thief, right? Right. You can find this in, in John 12 and Luke 22. Treasure of the apostolic band, regularly pilfering the purse, And so Satan enters into him and entices him for money to betray Jesus to the Jewish leadership and to the Romans. It's not surprising. Paul wrote to Timothy, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. It was then. It is now. My point is that sin breeds sin. Sinning breeds susceptibility to Satan. It attracts him. It opens us up to his influence. And so we need to beware of lingering in sin or keeping a a pet sin. Sin, brothers and sisters, makes a bad pet. You've ever known somebody that had a dog and they said, well, that's a bad dog. He bites. Well, sin bites worse. Bad, bad to keep a pet sin because pet sins bite. Some people have the attitude, if I'll just get it out of my system, I'll, I'll, I'll be over this temptation. Suppose you're uh, tempted to some, t- toward, some sort of covetous acquisition, and you know you don't need it, but you think, I want to buy it anyway, and you, you cave it, you just say, well, I'm just going to get it over with. I'm going to buy it, and the temptation will be over. Well, it will be over, you know, that one, that one. But it will inflame, I think, your desire for things you don't need. So, when we are stealing or enticed to covetousness, another one's anger, Ephesians 4. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry and do not give the devil a foothold. And the implication is that anger is a foothold for the devil, that anger will somehow lead us into more sin, that it will, according to the Proverbs, stir up strife. But that anger gives the devil opportunities. And so when we're angry, the devil sees a target and he comes and suggests other sins. I think that's one of the reasons it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And when we're unforgiving, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 Uh, There's a situation there where um, the apostle is saying that they should forgive a certain person in the fellowship. uh, And and after encouraging them to forgive this sinner in a disciplined case in the local church, Paul adds that failure to do so may well lead to their being outwitted by the devil so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. So I've tried to say tonight that there are opportune times, maybe sometimes more opportune than others, and that the devil is a guerrilla warfare agent who will strike uh, uh, unexpectedly, uh, not waving a flag, hey, here I am, I'm ready to lead you to ruin. No, not like that. So what can we do? What should we do? 
And I want to mention five things quickly as I close. One, just beware of the dangers. Beware of the dangers. The, the warfare is real, and it's usually guerrilla warfare. Secondly, remember your resources. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I don't think we can free ourselves from all sin, but I don't think sin is inevitable because of he who is in us being greater than he who is in the world. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So first, beware the danger. Secondly, remember your resources. Thirdly, resist the devil and he will flee from you. James 4, for a season he will flee from you. Number four, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Satan has fallen. Jesus is enthroned. Someday Satan will be cast into the lake of fire. The Christian is in the Father's hands and no one and nothing can snatch him or her out of the Father's hands. And lastly, I would say remember Jesus' temptation on the cross. I've already mentioned this, but I mention it again because I think things like this help our hearts so much. He's on the cross. He's being tempted to bypass the cross and take his glory and reign without suffering, without saving his people, without keeping his covenant commitment to redeem a people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And they say to him, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross. And he had said in Gethsemane, I can call 10,000 angels. This doesn't have to happen. But he willingly, voluntarily chose to die on the cross. They said, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. But he didn't come down from the cross, which is very, very good news. And you think, Jesus, you know how to resist the devil's temptations. And your resistance to his temptations is what saved me, us. And I believe if you think about that and meditate upon that, it will empower you as it works into your heart and grows your love for Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for warning us through your word about the wiles of the devil. Father, I pray for the men and women and children here and for myself that we would think neither too much nor too little of the devil and his schemes and that you would protect us and keep us from evil and keep evil from us and make us faithful. Teach us to resist. Teach us to put on the full armor of God. Help us to remember that He who is in us, you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world. Thank you that we have power, the power of the resurrection dwelling within us to resist. And we pray in Christ's name, amen.